From APM, American Public Media, this is the American Radio Works podcast. I'm Stephen Smith. For decades, young people have been told that college is the path to prosperity, and research bears that out. But with the high cost of college tuition and fees, is a degree still worth it? Our guest on this week's podcast says yes, as long as you pick an affordable school. Robert Kelchin is a professor of higher education at Seton Hall University in New Jersey. He also calculates college rankings for Washington Monthly Magazine. One of the rankings is called the Bang for the Buck List, and it's specifically designed to help college students pick a school with a great return on investment. Producer Suzanne Pico spoke with Kelchin about what's causing the rise in college costs and how some schools keep them in check. The goal for the Bang for the Buck List, we'd like to see a lot of students and their families looking at this. And they can look at schools, maybe that are close to them geographically, and see that they do at least a fairly good job of graduating students without a crazy large amount of debt, and that they're also admitting students from low to middle income families. Now, are students looking at these lists? Probably not as much as we'd like. Students tend to still look at the traditional U.S. News college rankings, and those are particularly the case for students from higher income families. And academic research has shown that those are the types of students that use college rankings the most. But I I think the bang for the buck list is quite useful in part because colleges and policymakers look at it as well. And colleges have contacted us asking, what can we do to look better on this list? And the easiest answer is, what can you do as a college to hold costs down for students with financial need. So looking at this list, the top school on the bang for the buck list is kind of surprising, Amherst College in Massachusetts, which we actually visited for an upcoming documentary. And it has a sticker price of something like $60,000. And that, that sounds like a lot of money. So how do you rank those schools? So they're ranked based on what's called the net price of attendance. And what that is, it takes that sticker price, that $60,000, and takes out all the grant aid that students receive. So if a student receives a federal Pell Grant, that counts. If they receive a grant from their state, that counts. But for a school like Amherst, a lot of this is institutional grant aid. And some schools with large endowments, they commit to meeting students' financial need. So they end up with a net price of, I believe, $843 for students making less than $75,000 a year. That does not sound like a lot of money. It really caught me off guard when I saw the number. I knew they had a commitment to meeting need, but when they can meet the need going up to $75,000, that's really showing an institutional commitment. Now, with that being said, they have a very large endowment, and they still don't serve that large of a percentage of Pell recipients. But compared to other elite liberal arts colleges, they're doing a pretty good job. In general, college tuition is going up and up and up, and I know that's vexing to a lot of students of many different financial backgrounds. In your mind, what is driving up the cost of a college degree? So it's a combination of of many factors, really. At the public level, some of it is decreased state funding on a per-student basis. And as states at least partially cut back their effort, institutions ask students to pay more. Part of it is higher education uses a lot more people to teach than other fields. So basically what I mean by that is other fields that use well-educated people, they're they're able to shift more resources into technology, for example, and replace people. But the general model of college education hasn't really changed that much in the past few hundred years. It's still a teacher getting in front of the classroom, whether it's in person or online, and doing their thing. So that's part of it. Another part is 
the increased demand needs at colleges. I was a college freshman 10 years ago. My dorm didn't even have air conditioning. And in the Midwest, in August, not having air conditioning wasn't fun. But it kept the cost of room and board quite low. Was that reassuring to you when you were sitting there with no air conditioning? Uh, That wasn't too much fun. I'll I'll say that, but 10 years later, it doesn't seem so bad. But on a a more serious note, just the, the amenities that are cropping up in higher ed are driving some of the costs. If you look at new rec centers, some of the new dorms that are going up, and those are things that have to be paid for by tuition and fees for students. And is it worth it? In the long run, yes. Most students would see more earnings in the long run by going to college. And that's even after taking out whatever they have to pay for tuition and whatever student loan interest they have to pay. But what really pinches students is those first few years after graduation, where they may not be making that much money and they still have student loan payments due. And part of it is the the default setting for student loans is you have to pay it back over 10 years, even though you get the benefits over a lifetime. So it does create a short-run pinch financially. This is particularly as you have people who would like to start a family and get a house. And it can be difficult to do that while you're trying to pay back student loans as well. So maybe we need to look at different structures for student loans, but we should also look at how can we potentially keep the cost of college down. And what are some of the things that you would recommend to keep college costs down? So one of the things you can do to keep the cost of college down on the facility side is just better using the facilities that you have. If you go to a lot of universities, you won't see too many classes on Fridays, for example. So to fit that Monday through Thursday 10 to 2 peak window that people like to have class, you have to have a lot more facilities. So that's one way. Another way is think about all of the different amenities that you have to offer students at this point. Do students need a fancy new rec center? Do they need dorms that are really nice and you have your own bathroom or share it with two other people? Those are some things that you can do. Other things are thinking about, can you redesign how college is taught? Would it be worthwhile to have larger classes in some cases? Would it be worthwhile asking faculty to teach more and focus less on research? Another option is, should we be counting on the government to fund more? If students and families like all these amenities and they are able to spend big bucks on college, isn't that just sort of the free market at work? I mean, why is it so important to keep college costs low? From, from a taxpayer perspective, it's important to keep costs low because students still have to pay the loans back. They may be able to get the money up front, but there's no guarantee that they can pay all that money back. And even if they do, that's still delaying things like buying a house or starting a family, things that, as society, we think are important. And then the other strand is we don't observe the people who are, are basically scared away of college because of the cost or what they perceive the cost to be. So we may have more students, if college was a little bit less expensive, who could afford to go? I mean, part of the reason why educational attainment rates aren't rising as quickly as we'd like them to. And that would also partially explain the large gaps in college enrollment and completion by family income. And now the Obama administration has announced plans to tie federal student aid to a rating systems for schools. What do you think of that proposal? So first of all, it's a little bit of background. I was giving a presentation on that at the Yes, We Must conference in Chicago. And this is a group of about three dozen small private tuition-dependent institutions. And they're very nervous about the idea of federal college ratings, and particularly the idea of tying financial aid to these ratings. 
I haven't seen much in the way of details of the plan. I've been involved in the technical discussions due to my role as a methodologist for Washington Monthly. But at this point, we're really waiting for an idea of what these draft ratings will look like. And they should come out sometime in the middle of this year. Although middle is a little bit of a squishy term. It could be next month. Or it could be October. But the goal is to have ratings in place for the 2015-2016 academic year. And then financial aid tied to those ratings by the 2018-2019 academic year. But in order to get financial aid tied to the ratings, it requires an act of Congress and the president's approval, both of which are by no means guaranteed either with the current Congress or potentially with the next president. You said you were presenting in front of a group of colleges that were a little nervous about this idea of tying federal student aid to a rating system of schools. Tell me more about why they were nervous. So I've heard from a lot of different colleges about these ratings, and they're nervous because a, a bad rating may actually hurt the number of students who go there. So they've seen how, for example, the U.S. news rankings can affect where students go to college. And they're concerned that federal ratings would have the same effect. And additionally, they're concerned about financial aid because a lot of these colleges get much of their revenue from federal financial aid, whether it be through grants or loans. And losing even some of that money could be financially devastating to institutions that don't have an endowment or wealthy donors to fall back on. And some say this plan will sort of disadvantage schools that serve low-income students because it prioritizes measures like the graduation rate. Is that a fair criticism? It's really too early to tell. It it could be a fair criticism if we don't take measures of access into account. So if we just look at graduation rates, then the elite, well-resourced institutions will look really good. But if we also take into account effort in trying to serve low-income students, then it could be a completely different set of institutions performing well. And what we do know is that very few institutions look really good in having a large number of Pell recipients, a high graduation rate, and a low net price of attendance. There is some research put out by Andrew Kelly and Wilder Rodriguez at the American Enterprise Institute that showed 19 four-year universities looked really good on all three of those measures. And that's out of about 1,500 institutions. So there are very few schools that will look really good in all the measures, but it's more trying to identify the schools that are really bad in all the measures. And those are the ones that could be subject to sanctions in the future. Robert Kelchin is a professor of higher education at Seton Hall University and the statistician behind the Washington Monthly College Rankings. He spoke with producer Suzanne Pico. A note of disclosure, the Washington Monthly Rankings are funded by the Lumina Foundation, which also supports American Radio Works, but the foundation does not influence our coverage. You can find more podcasts about disparities in K-12 and post-secondary education at our website, AmericanRadioWorks.org. While you're there, browse the archive of more than 100 documentary projects and let us know what you think of our coverage, AmericanRadioWorks.org. You can like us on Facebook at American.RadioWorks and follow us on Twitter at AMRadioWorks. Support for American Radio Works also comes from the William and Flora Hewlett Foundation and the Spencer Foundation. I'm Stephen Smith. Thanks for listening. This is APM, American Public Media.